0: ever just uh, wished that that maybe you could go to children's church too? (laughs) Looks like it's going to be a lot of fun in there today for Will. One of my favorite movies of all time is uh, the movie Chariots of Fire Chronicles, the story of two runners, British runners who were competing in the 1924 Olympics. Highly recommend it. One of the main characters of the story is a runner by the name of Eric Liddell, who was a fantastically committed believer in Christ, who really believed that this gift of running that he had was given to him by God. And he also had a sister by the name of Jeannie. Jeannie was also an unbelievably committed person, loved Jesus Christ. And Liddell's family, uh, to to a T, all of them uh, were missionaries. And one of the reasons why I've always felt very connected to the Liddell family is because they were missionaries uh, specifically to the country of China. And Jeannie was giving Eric uh, somewhat of a time in the movie, basically questioning his commitment level. She wanted Eric to leave the sport of running behind and to leave that area and then go into the mission field. And they were having a debate and an argument Uh, In the movie, she wanted him to serve God before everything else. And in one scene, Eric attempts to help his sister understand his point of view. He even goes so far as saying that uh, he tells Jeannie, I am going to enter the mission field. I'm going to become a missionary. And Jeannie gets very excited, but then he says, But I've got some running to do first. And she grows frustrated, and he says this word to her, and I quote, Jenny, you've got to understand, I believe that God made me. He made me for a purpose, and he made me for China. He also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. What a great statement, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt, you are right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Sometimes I believe we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing all this? Who, who am I doing all of this for? The, this being whatever it is you pursue in life, whether it be running or the mission field or everything in between, Why do we do the things that we do? For who do we do the things that we do? Is it for my pleasure? Am I pursuing these things for me? Am I pursuing these things for other people? Am I pursuing these things for God? Or is there some other reason? Now, this morning, I'm going to make a confession to you. This confession is not going to to come as a surprise to my wife or to my family, but I confess to you that I am a people pleaser. I am a people pleaser. Any other people pleasers in the audience? God bless us, right? We need prayer. We need a lot of help. But I am a people pleaser. It's a, a burden that I have had my entire life. It's something that I battle every single day. At my core, I truly just want people to be happy. I really do. I just want everybody to be happy. Sadly, the day that I stepped behind this pulpit, in particular, this pulpit, (laughs) I stepped into a role that I discovered that making everyone happy would not be possible. Now, when I was a youth pastor, everybody loves the youth pastor. I mean, I felt all this overwhelming love. Everywhere I went, I was getting high fives and hugs. And I thought, man, this is great because the high fives and hugs are going to continue as I walk into the role of a pastor. It didn't. (laughs) It didn't. Sadly, that's just not the way things work. You just can't make everyone happy. So I have to ask myself, why am I doing what I do? What is is compelling me to pastor? What is compelling me to be a spiritual leader? What is compelling me to do what I am doing today? Am I just trying to please myself? Because we know some people chase after religion and faith just so they can feel better about themselves. Am I trying to please you, the congregation, Or am I trying to please God? Am I trying to honor him? Is it my desire to be happy and make everyone around me happy? Or is it my ultimate wish to be holy? Because many times, holiness and happiness cannot coexist. You've seen those bumper stickers, by the way, haven't you? Those coexist bumper stickers? Oh, man. If only it were true. But sadly... Happiness, temporal, earthly happiness. Happiness that's found in the bedrock of humanity cannot coexist with holiness that can only be found, that can only be met, that can only be discovered in knowing God. Now, I have to ask myself quite regularly, am I doing this to be happy or am I doing this to be holy? You can fill in the blank, if you will, that very top sort of thesis Blank, if you will. Is our desire for happiness greater than our desire for holiness? Is our desire for happiness greater than our desire for holiness? Let me give you a little little bit of background this morning from Luke 26. If you want to, you can open up your Bibles there. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 6, verse 26 this morning. The last beatitude of Jesus Christ, the last woe, if you will, And it's all about happiness. The background is this. Have you ever had a a time when your mentor gathers you and and several other people? He looks you in the eyes and, and he just says, listen, there's something that you don't understand. There's something that you don't get yet. But I am here today to teach you what you are missing. I've had a handful of times in my life where I've had men have sat me down and said those things to me before. Sometimes those things can hurt. Sometimes they can be very engaging and helpful. But I will tell you this, Jesus is doing the exact same thing here with this audience of people that are surrounding him. Within this audience, you've got Gentiles, you've got Jews, you've got people from all the way from Judea to Jerusalem, from Tyre to Sidon. You've got people from all over the place that have gathered together to listen to Jesus teach. Within this crowd, you've got his 12 disciples. You've got others that are following Christ. You've also got Pharisees who hate Jesus. So you've got people from all over, all ethnicities, all differing uh, backgrounds, and they're all coming to hear what Jesus is saying to them. Jesus is a miracle worker. We've already discovered many of those stories. Jesus is a phenomenal teacher. We've already seen many of those stories. We also see that Jesus is a tremendous power broker. Uh, Jesus is dealing face-to-face with some of the most religiously people that the world had to offer. And in many cases, he's shaking the bedrock of their their faith. He's he's saying, listen, what you believe forever about God isn't true, it isn't reality. And he's here to tell us something new and something different. And this morning, we're looking at the last woe, W-O-E, of Jesus. The woe relates to how we engage not only with God, but also specifically with other people. So we're not just talking about the vertical relationship that we have with the Lord, but in particular this way, we're dealing with the horizontal relationships that we have with the people that are surrounded us, worldly people, other people, and how they speak to us. So this morning, one verse today, one small verse. Luke chapter six, verse 26. Woe to you, Jesus speaking. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, For so their fathers did to the false prophets. You're probably thinking, man, okay, how are we going to yank a sermon out of this one little sentence? Luckily, I went to seminary and I can do that. Jesus teaches about real happiness, real happiness. You want to, you can take your pen, pencil, and you can cross out happiness and throw up the word joy. Throw up the word joy instead of happiness. Roman numeral one, if you want to, the, 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 the path to real joy, the path to real eternal happiness starts by living prayerfully. Living prayerfully. And Jesus says in verse 26, woe to you. A few weeks ago, we talked about that word woe, W-O-E. And in this instance, it's a warning for misery, a warning for misery. You will be miserable if you choose to go down this path. If you choose to walk down this road, you are walking into a land of destruction and heartache. When I think of the word woe, I can't help but think of the command that we give to, to trotting running horses. Whoa! W-H-A-O-H. It seems, by the way, that that's a, a universal word to stop most anything. Just the other day, I was walking down the hall here in the children's building, and I mean, there were uh, three or four young people that were attending VBS, and they came sprinting down the hallway, and instinctively, I said, whoa, guys, whoa, and you know what they did? They stopped. <laughs> And they kind of started walking slowly. Now, I can't promise you that as soon as they got past me and my back was turned that they didn't take off again. That probably is what happened. But in that moment, they stopped. They paused. And they started walking. Sometimes a good woe is in order to get us to woe. We need to heed Jesus' warning of, of harm and misery so that we can pause, and more importantly than stopping, so that we can pray. Because in prayer, we often find direction. We have purpose. On Wednesday, I was teaching in our vacation Bible school. And in our class, Adam Gober was my other teacher, but in our class, I had two young boys. Sweet young boys. They've been coming the whole week. But for whatever reason on Wednesday apparently our VBS workers gave them literally straight sugar like just opening and just poured sugar down. I'm not sure if that's true, but they were acting like it. And they were so distracting. And they were talking and and hugging and hugging each other and hugging other people and it was just kind of wild chaos. It got so bad that eventually I had to put on my dad voice. I don't even really like using my dad voice with other people's kids. I use it all the time with mine. But I asked the boys to stand up and to follow me outside. A serious business, right? So he walked outside and I said, guys, I wanna to talk to you. I got down on their eye level. I said, listen, y'all are being so distracting. Now I'm not mad at you, but I can't let you sit in this class where I'm trying to teach the Bible and you guys are distracting everybody from the message that I believe God wants me to deliver. Now here's the thing, you can either go back in that classroom, you can stop, you can be quiet and you can allow yourselves to listen, allow other people to listen around you or there's gonna be some consequences. I'm going to talk to your moms and your dad. You're going to have to sit out here in the hallway, separated from the rest of the class. You're not going to be able to participate. And and if our VBS leadership hears that you're being such a distraction, they may not let you come back. Things got serious. Things got serious. And so I said, "Do you think that you guys can hush? Think you guys can be quiet?" Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I said, "Guys." i tell you what I want to do for you. I'm going to give you the greatest gift I can. We're going to stop for a second. I'm going to put my hands on you, and we're going to pray together. And so I said a real short prayer in that hallway. We opened back up the door. We walked back in. And do you know what those two boys did? They sat down. They were quiet. They listened. They weren't distracting. It was like two different kids would come back into the room. And, and you know, sometimes I wish— That what we have as kids we could do as adults. I I wish that we could just stop for a second. If we could just sort of think about the direction in life that we're going in. That we could offer up a prayer. And that we could ask God. God maybe my heart needs to be changed. Maybe my mind needs a little clarification. Maybe I need to ask for a little bit better judgment. Maybe I need to stop Potentially distracting myself from what you're doing in my life or distracting other people from what you're doing in their life. Maybe I want to be a part of the solution instead of being part of a problem. Sometimes we just need to woe. To pray. Because when we pray... God gives direction. He gives clarity. And and by the way, I've talked to several adults. Several uh, people have texted me throughout the week. I get a lot of that because I'm a pastor. And one of the very first things I tell people to do when they're making a critical decision, I say, why don't you take some time and why don't you pray about it? If you see A, B, and C here, why should we pray? I'll give you the blanks and explain them. I, I believe that prayer is essential. I believe that prayer is elemental. And I believe that prayer is engaging. I believe that prayer is essential for the Christian life. I believe it's elemental for us. It's something that we ought to use every day. And I also believe that it is engaging. So a few things I've discovered about prayer. First, prayer is essential to effective life with God. It is essential to effective life with God. People, by the way, that I've discovered in my Christian life, people who are the most awake, alive, and effective spiritually are that way because for them, prayer is an essential aspect of their life. Meaning that they never put periods on their prayers. They put commas on their prayers. Meaning that they just pray all the time. In any situation, at any given moment, at any circumstance, they voice a prayer, whether it be silently or whether they, they say it vocally. Prayer is an essential ingredient to their life. I have yet to find evidence in the Bible, by the way, looking at all the biblical characters, I have yet to find evidence where people who were effective in living for God didn't pray. So this morning, I would encourage you, if you want to be effective in living for God, then pray. If you want to find that ultimate happiness, that ultimate peace, that ultimate joy, it starts with prayer. Next, I also believe that prayer affirms that we live before God and not for ourselves. It points us to him. Prayer is elemental to who we are and what we are spiritual beings which we are we're both made of spir- physical beings and spiritual beings together spiritual beings need to connect with a spiritual creator we have a longing inside of us uh, you need to understand that we are not alone in this world uh, you are not uh, we don't belong to ourselves and yet we're also not orphans Prayer affirms that we suffer before God, we struggle before him, we love before God, we sin before him, we doubt before him, we work and we play before God and we love before him. We age and we die before God. Prayer is our life because prayer is how we live. And the next one is this, that prayer is a part of the warfare of faith Ephesians chapter 6 verses 18 through 19 it says this coming from the message it says in the same way prayer is essential on this ongoing warfare Pray long and pray hard. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. And don't forget to pray for me. Pray that I'll know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time, telling the mystery to one and to all. Prayer is essential. Prayer is elemental. Prayer helps us engage in spiritual battle. So the first step to living happily is to pray. Pray hard and pray often. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. Never stop. Never leave an attitude of prayer behind. So let's go on to Roman numeral number two. Jesus teaches about real happiness, real joy. And we find joy and happiness and peace in one living prayerfully. But next we have living decisively. Living decisively. In verse 26, woe to you. That's the prayerful part. Stop, pray. But then we get to the next piece. When all people speak well of you. When all people speak well of you. One of the great quotes that I heard in life, I'm not exactly a positivist who's it attributed to. I'm guessing it's Frank Borum. But he says this, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us, whether it is positive or negative. And trust me, I've made good decisions in my life, and I've made some poor decisions in my life. That's part of being human. But every day, we're making decisions. We're making some big ones, some small ones, that could affect the outcome of our lives. And it could affect not only the outcome of our life in eternity, but also the eternity of other people. Some choices we make will be for them. For God and other choices will be made against him. Jesus wants us to live a decisive life that leads others to him and leads us down a path of righteousness. And any decision outside of those options is leading others to hell and us, us down paths of destruction. Many of you remember the basketball player Charles Barkley. He was an NBA basketball superstar. And if you remember back in the 90s, Charles did not want people watching him. Remember that famous statement, I'm not a role model. And yet, Charles, because of his publicity, because of his notoriety, because of his outlandish behavior, he may not have wanted to be a role model, but it's what he signed up for when he signed the contract. See, Charles, he he wanted to have all of the, the adulation of praise from the people, but wanted no moral responsibility to God. And friends, it just doesn't work that way. We're always responsible to God. We're perhaps more responsible to God first than we are to anything else. So every decision that we make is very important. It's very critical. And Jesus, when he's talking about the Beatitudes and the woes, he's drawing a very distinctive line between two groups of people so that you have to identify yourself with one group or the other. There is no in between. Jesus says, listen, you are either going to be for me or you are going to be against me. You will either be rich here on earth or you will be rich in heaven. People will either speak well of you on earth or God will lift his praise to you in heaven. There is no in between. You're either going to be hungry on earth or you'll be satisfied in heaven. Now, maybe you're kind of like me, but Jesus, I mean, here's the thing, Lord, What if I just want to be in the middle, okay? I I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be poor. I just kind of want to be middle class. Can I be middle class and still just make my way to heaven? Is that okay? That's, That's really what I'm shooting for. And Jesus emphatically says, no, you can't. You have to be one or the other. You cannot be indecisive in this Christian life. You have to choose. You have to make a choice. You're either completely for me or you are completely against me. One Jesus one reason, excuse me that Jesus paints with these broad strokes of black and white with no gray is to draw the line and make us examine ourselves. Which side are you on? Which side am I on?" Immediately I want to say, "Lord, how about someone who's not rich? I just want to be stuck in the middle." And Jesus says, "No. Following Christ means that we can no longer sit on the fence, we have to lay aside our feelings, our emotions, our Facebook posts, and actually do what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? A friend of mine, and a fellow pastor, Robbie Gallaty, who's pastoring at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Tennessee, Robbie says it like this, perhaps it's time we stop reading the Bible and start doing the Bible. We've read the Bible, we know it's words. Maybe we should just put them into practice and start reaching people for the gospel. If you look at Roman numeral three, you'll see that the path to righteousness, the path to happiness and joy is to live prayerfully, to live decisively, but then here's the next one, to live biblically, to live biblically. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So their fathers did to the false prophets. And Jesus states that there was a time where false prophets were applauded by men, and, but eventually those false prophets who twisted the word of God, they met their end in the wrath of the father uh, for a time these men and women received praise and adulation from the thousands sadly for them the praise would not last very long maybe just a lifetime on the day of judgment their teachers were found lacking listen to peter's words this is what peter says in second peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 very appropriately written he says but false prophets also rose among the people So within their lifetime, you've got these false teachers who take the narratives of the Bible, they twist them and turn them for their own good, and people, because they don't know the Bible, fall right in line with it, and they chase after what they think is healthy but what's really doing is hurting them. Why? Because they don't know the Bible. Going back to my last point, potentially it's dangerous to do the Bible because some of us don't even know what the Bible says which means we've got to really jump into God's word. We've got to really open it and crack it open and read it and, and and ingest it and memorize it and make it be a part of our everyday life so that when we meet a false teacher we can say, "You know what? You're not matching up with scripture, bro." I'm not gonna follow you, and for that matter, I'm not going to tell other people about you. Uh, about a couple years ago, I was uh, walking down here. I had gone to, there was a gym over here, and I was walking down the road, and I was about to make the curve coming up Park Drive, and I, I came in contact with a, a couple of Mormon friends, and they were riding their bike, and they stopped, and, and they were very cordial and very nice, and they began to ask me some questions and I began to tell them scriptural truth from the Bible about how they were leading other people astray. And I said, it's listen, I love you. I'm praying for you. I want you to know the Jesus that I know. But the Jesus that you're peddling, he is a false Jesus. And you're leading people to destruction. And I take that as a pastor and as someone who knows God's word, I take that very, very seriously. And one of the Mormon friends, he looked at me and he called me a name, he called me apostate. You're just apostate, which I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but I knew it was not a nice thing to say to somebody. But but here's the thing, there's so many people that would be confronted with these two well-meaning people. I, I, I know that they're well-meaning. They don't have in their heart to lead somebody astray, but they've not been educated on what the Bible actually says. I actually asked them this question. I said, friends, let me ask you, so are, are you a Christian? Yes. And you're a Mormon? Yes. And I said, well, that's, that's weird because I'm Christian. And they're like, okay. And I said, so does that make me Mormon? And they said, no. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't understand. Help me figure this out. But what I believe happens with these Mormon friends and Jehovah's Witnesses that go door to door and they peddle a false faith, is that they encounter people who've heard the word of God but don't know the word of God. And they get confused by it. And they begin to walk down paths that really are not bringing them closer to healing but rather just bringing them closer to destruction. We have to know what God's word actually says. Okay, so here's the deal. If you want to live happily in this world, say things. This is what I've discovered. If you want to live happily in this world, say things that everybody wants to hear. Give them, God, give them the God of mercy but remove his judgment. Give them God's charity as long as it doesn't conflict with nationalism. Give them generosity as long as it doesn't conflict with materialism. Give the people their pie and let them eat it too. Tell them that God loves them just the way they are and he has no desire, no need for them to change. Give them salvation with no obedience. Give them church without attendance. Give them healing without, uh, give them healing while just letting them bleed in the streets. Remember, living biblically will always, always, always be in conflict with the world. If you choose to live biblically, it will always be in conflict with the world. Always, if our lives, our thoughts, our actions, and our teachings are not hated by the world, then chances are they are not biblical lives, thoughts, actions, or teachings. Our lives, thoughts, actions, and teachings should run counter to everything that the world is saying. The world hates everything about God, it hates everything about Jesus, and it hates everything about the Bible. When we live biblically, we live happily ever after. No, not here on the physical earth, but I will say that we live eternally, happily ever after on the spiritual plane of heaven where it really matters, where it really matters. Living biblically, by the way, in my estimation, means to live courageously. See, for me to live biblically means that I have to lay aside my people-pleasing hat which is what comes so naturally to me, and say, Lord, okay, I'm gonna do what you tell me to do. Even if people hate me, even if people speak negatively, even if I get hate mail on the offering plate, I'm gonna do what you want me to do, Lord, because you're the only one that matters. Living biblically means living courageously. Psalm chapter 119, listen to what it says. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. On that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. It's all about the Lord. My brothers and sisters, I pray that it will never be your desire to seek the praise of people. I pray that it will never be your desire that that the masses would applaud you. I pray that it would be our only desire that God's name be lifted high in the public forum, that we stand boldly and courageously for Scripture, for Jesus, for his word, and that we would never compromise on what Christ has led us to be and do. And I also pray this, that we would love people the way that Jesus loves people. Maybe not the way that we would love them, but the way Christ would love them. Sacrificially, dying for them, lifting them up, and taking pleasure in them. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not be a happy people, but a holy people. I pray that we would be people of your word. And that, Lord, we would want to live biblically. That we would seek to live prayerfully, that we would do everything that we can to live decisively, that we cannot any longer live in the middle of the road. Lord, your word tells us that we should not be lukewarm, that we're either for you or against you. Lord, help us to stand for you boldly and courageously. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the conviction that you've offered to me through this message, through Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Because inside of me, Lord, I know there's a part that wants people to clap and praise my name instead of clapping for you and praising your name. And so Jesus, I ask for forgiveness for those times. And I pray, Lord, that while I have the opportunity to lend a voice to your name, that I will lend it unashamedly, that I will lend it passionately, that I will do it courageously and emphatically. Lord, bless us now as we come into a time of invitation and we pray all these things today in your name. Amen.